Liberty and beyond. Flying in baseball? Yeah, who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. Elementary, my dear Watson. What's in the box? Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. But why male models? Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me sure. Well, nobody's perfect. Go ahead. Make my day. Every man under my command owes me 100 Nazi scouts. All right, ready? One, two, three! Ah! Ah! Lay your palm flat on that tabletop! Don't be looking at me like that, all right? I can feel your look. You wanna fuck with me? You're acting like a first-year fucking thief. I'm acting like a professional. See how he does into your Nazi box. I love that stuff here, though, with the killing. A lot of killing. You will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. That's a bingo. Did you tell Miss Lord goodbye? Bye, Miss Lord. Now, if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say, now's the fucking time. I'm hungry. Let's get a taco. Welcome, everybody, to Pop Culture. I am Scott. I'm Jason. And I'm Monica. And this episode is our first director's showcase, where we'll be talking about one director in particular, their work, their influence, and some of our favourite films of their oeuvre. And who else would we pick but Quentin Tarantino for our first episode? Because I feel like if we did Spielberg, it would just be me and Jason, like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but how good is this one? How good is that one? (laughs) You know what? I I actually think Tarantino's probably a better one for pop culture than Spielberg because in terms of currency and influence on what we see, I actually think Tarantino's influenced more in uh, other broader pop culture references. Just I think, yeah. It's lately. It's, uh, it, well, yeah, yeah, lately. Yeah. Lately, yeah. Tarantino is one, one of the most, I think, uh, he's shaped a generation of cinema and, you know, he's also someone who's not without very valid criticisms and controversies but he's incredibly influential and there's this sense of style that he has, which so many people do try and emulate and has captured something within movies as they're being presented right now. Yeah, I mean, he's been, yeah, knocked off. Countless times. We were talking about, I think, was it Gunpowder Milkshake when we, when we, it was just like someone's review was like, I was trapped on a Quentin Tarantino themed roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not allowed off. <laughs> you, exactly. They went too long. Yes, it did. <laughs> um, so there's, there's quite a collection of solid films here to, to, that we can talk about and things. But I mean, when I think of Tarantino personally, I think of this amazing writer, like some of his dialogue and his scripts. Uh, 
brilliant. I mean, he's an Oscar-winning writer for a reason. Like, he's really, really good at it. As far as a director goes, which I think is where he gets a lot of props and stuff, I think he's the master of um, appropriation. <laughs> That's probably yeah. where I, I think of him as a director. I think he, he, he can take somebody else's vision and bend it to what he wants his movie to be. I think that comes a little bit with him um, being a huge movie buff himself. You, he, has oh, this, totally. he, has this, he has this reverence and this almost encyclopedic knowledge of all these different kinds of cinema. And sometimes I feel when watching his movies, and it's not a complaint because I really like his style, is he's just trying to pull as much as possible from them and be like, and I need you to get this reference and, oh, what about this one? And how about this one? Everyone, guys, be impressed, please. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the main identifying aspects to Tarantino is if you know what postmodernism is, it's a suggestion that everything's already been done before. And what he tends to do is he pulls in our pop, pop culture experience into the dialogue you know you think reservoir dogs are talking about madonna uh it, it's to the type of films that he brings together and mashes stuff together like pulp fiction and he's just done that at exactly the right moment in history or film history to uh pretty much redirect how these films are being put together and made and that ability to do the dialogue that's funny Scott Scott got his coffee and he's got a big smile on his face. But <laughs> I'm just wondering whether, you know. Delivery, sorry. Go on. Whether it's like a, uh, you know, fast food chain that we could mention. But, you know, things like that, the fast food mm. all mentioned. Uh, what was it? I've forgotten the name of the burgers now. <laughs> Where they do get their burgers from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, um, oh, my God. Yeah, see. <laughs> this is going to do their heads in now. Um, yeah, but anyway, the, the, the fact that, you know, they're, they're eating takeaway food, you've got all of this sort of gangster stuff that's gangsters talking about. That's it, the Kahuna Burger. Mm. Um, it is pulp and it is really showing this love for uh, these popular aspects to cinema. Mm. and bringing it together in a way that is usually really funny. I have to say, his strength is actually his comedy, yeah. his writing, and the comedy can be a bit hard to swallow for some people because it gets mixed with violence quite heavily. But it's um, amazing how well he does that. And then the other part I'd have to say is he just is able to revisit music that's you forget how effective and, it is. And make it really work in, like, change the meaning of a song. Like, Stuck in the Middle oh, for yeah. You used to be a really fun song, and now when I hear it, it's like, oh, this is sinister for some reason because I watched oh. Michael Manson torture someone to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you sort of see other films try and do covers of famous songs. Like, the one that we I can remember most recently was the cover of... Um, the Nirvana song in the beginning of Black Widow. And it's just, it's its not the same. It just feels like a cheap imitation, whereas Tarantino does use music in a way to really affect things and really make, turn, turn, turn itself on its head. 
Yeah, well, this is a guy who once upon a time was like, I'd never use a original, I'd never use a score in a film. Yeah. <laughs> to go forward to have a movie, one of his movies win for its original soundtrack. Yeah, just <laughs> bloody tune. <laughs> well, you don't. I mean, you're going to get Ennio Morricone. You're going to do it well. Yeah, exactly right. So I think see, the- he's, he's, he's got like the ultimate, one of the ultimate uh, soundtrack composers there so it it still sort of fits his mode of operandi if you want yeah it's this case of he lives and breathes film and he wants to celebrate that in his films and majority of the time he succeeds Uh, yeah yes there's a while there's there's a few that don't but there's more i love than i don't like Hmm. yeah yeah i would agree with that and also that comes back to his writing process as well when he's putting a film together. He's said in many interviews that he sort of approaches it like writing a novel before formatting everything into a script. And after he said that, the first time I heard him say that, it makes a lot of sense. It's almost sometimes when you're watching his movies, um, this this structure, everything's told sometimes in a linear way or a non-linear way, but everything is always divided up into chapters or um, there'll be a character arc that goes from one extreme to the other. And I was just like, he's prepared this ahead of time and he's not let it come maybe naturally as you would for a script, but he has put a story together like a book. He also, he also, uh, and I think the, it's evident in the amount of films that he's made, it's yes. like he, he takes his time. Yes. If he's making a film, it's like he's obviously put a lot of work into it. It's something like, I can't think of one that's rushed. No, and that's actually a sign of um, someone who is, I guess, carefully considering what they're putting together and how an audience might take it. It's a, it's a, like a strange form of um, uh, like auteurism. Like yes. it, it, he's absolutely an auteur filmmaker, I think. There's mm. no arguing that. But it's sort of like he he's a prism and reflects these other styles and ideas. And like Jason was saying with like his view on obviously and love of popular culture, he's able to refract that in a way that is one very palatable. Sometimes some people don't like Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> some people really don't like Tarantino, mm. but if you're the sort of person that it strikes a chord with, you love it. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's often said as well um, that he's going to retire after a 10th film. Um, do you think he's going to or do you think he's going to keep going? Well, all I know is he's got Kill Bill Volume 3 in the Apparently. pre-production stages. Oh, is that is that actually happening? No. I, but he, he considers Kill Bill 1 and 2 one, one film. He does consider it one film. Mm. That's so I think we've got at least, at least two more, maybe. Mm. But, I mean, yeah. if, like, if he's keeping the steady pace and, like, it's 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 good... Yeah. I would personally love to see his Star Trek film. <laughs> I just, There's a few that they've pipped for would, him to do, isn't it? I, I would love to see it. <laughs> Kirk walks onto the room. Did someone call me a bitch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't see he'll him doing that, to be honest. I, 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 no, no, no. I think, it'll be I like think it's too limiting on the writing. Star Trek. Oh, you think so? Yeah. I think it's Apparently, too limiting he's, on his writing. Oh, he's written it? No. Then, yeah, yeah. He's, he pitched it to Paramount. Mm, with J.J. Abrams, that's right. Yeah. Mm. I'm just it's surprised. There's just this conflict between the direction they're going with Star Trek with the more back to TV rather than movies. Mm. Oh, right. Yeah, so we've had, like, 
Discovery, Picard. We've yeah. got two two new Star Trek shows coming up. Mm. Like they're they're not really focusing on movies anymore. Mm. But I would watch a Tarantino Star Trek movie. I yeah, imagine I would. it would be some sort of twisted thing. But I'm no I'm sure he could do it. And I'd love to see him do a science fiction film. He's sort of um he's certainly uh dips his toe into genres, but in a his kind of way. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. I think sci-fi would be perfect for someone like him. He's already played with um alternative histories. Um, you know, to me, sci-fi seems to be the next natural step. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he did. He's done a horror film. He's done a samurai film. He's done westerns, done war film, heist, chase films. Yeah, crime. Yeah. How to crime? <laughs> Gangsters and stuff. <laughs> I do think he's still. He's more comfortable in the. Uh, heroes type uh gangster cowboy genres you know it sort of tends to stick to that more than anything um, oh he does he does it exceptionally well yeah yeah i sort of see him as um his strength lies in sort of like this neo noir kind of thing you know you've got um these characters who commit these extremely violent crimes but you know it's not without you know motivations and the narrative sort of um pattern he sort of, you get this, like, you walk this line between criminals being celebrated and stuff. His films, they always seem to be comeuppance. There's always, there's <laughs> always a, a hard lesson for the characters to learn, and it's usually abrupt and horrible. It is. It's also, I think, um, more sociologically driven than psychologically driven. It's about the mm -hmm. things that are happening around the character. Yeah. That, that's just my take on it. All right. What was the first one you saw? What was the first Tarantino film you saw? Uh, first one I ever saw was Pulp Fiction. Nice. Which, you know, Kill I love that movie very much. <laughs> uh, Kill Bill. Uh, mine was all in order. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was Reservoir Dogs. Um, I didn't see that at the movies, though. That was a... Uh, it, just let me... I just want to get... Jason? Yeah. You... You took your partner on a date to see Pulp Fiction, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> wow. She does not appreciate that. <laughs> and she's over here sitting on the couch at the moment wondering what we're talking about in terms of our first date being Pulp Fiction. First and she, date. And her reaction was this. So, <laughs> and doesn't let me Shoot. live it down. Count she yourself like lucky. That is a beautiful first date. I would love to be taken. I'll, I'll let I'll let you debate that. <laughs> Next time I see her, that'll be our conversation. I yeah. did. I did. I did go uh, take a take a lady to see Sin City. That was a mistake. <laughs> Sin City. Yeah, that goes about Pulp Fiction. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, we're not we're not perfect, but we're close. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, it I'd already seen it though, so it was sort of that was the second time I saw it and wanted to go back and see it again. Um, mm. I don't believe I saw Jackie Brown at the cinema. It was one that I already heard sort of bad things about, and and it's still got incredible reviews. Yeah, like, it, which is odd because I do not like it at all. I've I attempted it afterwards. Yeah, I I just got bored 
and I don't know. Maybe it was just like a genre of film or one of those things that just the didn't speak to me at all. Yeah, like I, I, we, I live in Australia. I don't really ex Maybe. experience a lot of that. And in terms of the films, I probably haven't seen enough of them to appreciate what was being done with that film. So uh, there's that as well so i'll just say that i'm maybe ignorant maybe maybe yeah. maybe that's why yeah. it didn't work for me either. Yeah. kill bill i totally got and when i saw it i was just like i was like the first time i think i'd watched a movie where i was just like gobsmacked by how violent it was yeah um oh, i don't think i was thrown by the violence i think even pop fiction yeah, but you were a bit old violent. Than I was, but yeah. I, yeah but i saw uh, kill first like oh okay yes yeah so i would have um, been like 13 or 14 yeah it's it's comic violence to some points too but oh, interestingly yeah interestingly <laughs> though i actually think he drew from his contested techniques of natural born killers in the different media shown throughout kill bill and yeah even though he didn't like what was done with natural born killers i sort of saw some of that showing up in kill bill interestingly yeah kill bill um is an interesting one it's my favorite um tarantino film volume one is just it's for me a, a perfect movie but um in contrast i am not a huge fan of natural born killers oh they're different very different i'm talking about probably the use of the media the black and white and the changing and yeah, tones and palettes and anime and yeah it, well, completely all the different media yeah. formats yeah it, it yeah. works in that film very effectively so um yeah that was an interesting one uh but yeah so reservoir dogs was on video like a vhs or something but then yeah pulp fiction would be the one that i'd say oh now i'm going to take notice of who the director is and yeah yeah that was oh. it yeah i saw yeah kill bill and then Sometime after that, like uh, probably year 10, 11, 12, where we also like experience cinema a bit more. I remember someone being like, oh, Pulp Fiction, like you've got to see this, like it's so good. And yeah, you know, we were young and we all watched Pulp Fiction. And that's when I, got, I was like, this is amazing. Mm. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I got, and then I went to see Death Proof at the cinema. Mm. It was my first like Tarantino movie at the cinema. And I've seen them all at the cinema since. Mm. And death was an odd one. Absolutely, yes. it's a it's a it's a really yeah. odd one. It's his, it's his attempt, I guess, at horror, but it's mm. different. It's also, death proof is also one of the ones that strangely, um, the pacing is a little bit off. For me. I think because it was meant to be kind of uh, like watching it by itself, it's like kind of clunky. Yes. But when you watch the cut down version as part of the Grindhouse Roadshow movie, yeah. yeah, like where you watch Planet Terror and then Death Proof back to back and they're both cut down versions, mm. they're really good. Yeah, fair enough. It's it sort of just still prefer Planet Terror. <laughs> yeah, I did, but I've on repeated viewings, I think I prefer Death Proof now. Okay. Which is, yeah, it changed my view changed. But <laughs> that's an interesting experiment, and it's interesting that he and Rodriguez oh. decided to do something like that. It obviously didn't work because mm. no one went and saw it. But you have to appreciate the the power move. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, and then he did the roadshow thing again with Hateful Eight, which was one of my 
like the best cinematic experiences I've ever had. Is that, um, I, admittedly, I've still not seen Hateful Eight. That's the one that has the intermission in the middle? In the roadshow version. Yes. In the roadshow version. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be actually quite fun. So they did it like, sorry, I had to go into the city and it was a 70 millimeter screening. It was all on film. Uh, mm -hmm. They, at the beginning, they gave you a playbill. <laughs> when you went in, so I had like all the actors and the cast and behind the scenes stuff in, and then um, yeah, it did a, a, an overture, so it played like the theme, and it just had a picture of a stagecoach on the screen, and it played the Eddie Morricone overture before the movie started. Then you watch the film, and then it has this intermission, mm. and it's when you watch that film, and you if you deliberately stop where the intermission is, and it, we're all sitting in the cinema like talking about it. it, it was really cool, like to have that break right at this moment where there's like a big twist to like sit in silence and contemplate what you've just experienced. It was amazing. Mm. Yeah, it would be. And you don't, sometimes I feel that a lot of films when you go see them, because they're getting progressively longer and longer, it doesn't give you a lot of time to breathe and to think because it just goes to the next piece. <laughs> so there's that's a, a, that's a whole That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> epic, epic films. Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I think after after Kill Bill, we get into like Death Proof and Glorious Bastards, Django, Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is this kind of um, more. I think well, I guess Kill Bill is kind of more of a Hollywood film as well, but you can definitely see there's mm. studio budget and stuff. He's obviously still in complete control, but these yeah. movies aren't costing five million to make anymore. No, they're not. And um, I think this is where I really love Tarantino. Like Glory Inglorious Django and Hateful Eight, it, I would struggle to pick a favorite. Mm. That's how much I love those three. It would probably be Django though. <laughs> if, I had Django? To, if you if you were the gun to my head and you made me pick one, there's something about the way he did a Western that just like was everything I never knew I wanted. <laughs> It's also the film that launched a thousand Leonardo DiCaprio memes, so I'm entirely oh, grateful oh to the movie. Oh my goodness, the amount of <laughs> the amount of times those those memes. <laughs> it's a friends. gift for the internet. I've got, I've got a mate. I've got a mate who started uh, the, the 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 um where he's like the laughing with the <laughs> yeah with the, with the drink in his hands. Yeah. He started an official like club with he and a group of friends, and they had jackets made with the face on the back. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, I, I just, it, the Christoph Waltz in Inglorious and Django is just unbelievably watchable. Yeah, um, I, I find a lot of the um, casting choices that Tarantino makes are always pretty spot on, and Christoph Waltz is one of those wonderful additions to his, I guess, cinematic universe. Um, just such a powerhouse performer, so good, and even even though I don't necessarily like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood very much, I really enjoy Leonardo DiCaprio's um, performance in it. Really, oh, really Brad, Brad Pitt, like, I was like, I, I've always thought Brad Pitt's pretty good, but in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he was just really good. I, I prefer Brad Pitt in, when he's in ensembles because I feel that he works a little bit better with people who push him a little bit more. I don't rate him on his own, but um, he did a turn a very good performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Which is not my favourite Tarantino film. I actually found it no. quite boring in places. Long? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It needs an intermission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, 
I, I don't think I found uh, once upon a time in Hollywood as boring as Jackie Brown. Um, I, I no, found no. That, that it was certainly inspiring thought in me more than some of his other films have in a more meditative way in terms of about acting, about Hollywood, about revisiting or revisioning history. Um, mm. And, you know, just all the performances in it made me just keep going back to moments after, long after I watched it, probably more than his other films. The other ones I all remember because it was sort of more exciting and a visceral experience that you mm. can easily quote, whereas uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that. It's not like that. It's not one where you could make memes out of it that easily. And Except for Leo of, pointing at the TV. That's, yeah, yeah that maybe, mean, yeah. But that's, it, that's the only moment. Yeah, and I I actually really enjoyed that one, probably more than it sounds like you guys did. I'm not, I'm not by I'm by any stress saying it's bad. I own yeah. it. I've watched it like three times. Yeah. It's just not my favourite. No, I... Maybe the reason I didn't maybe appreciate it as much as his other films is I couldn't. I always like to sort of like find the references that Tarantino is making, and I just couldn't make that connection just because I don't know enough about maybe sixties pop culture and film. So I, I couldn't connect with it in a way that I normally would, and um, I did sort of see it as this sort of more um, refined Hollywood love letter, but I couldn't help but find it to be a little bit pretentious in a way too and um i also and also the manson family there's something about that particular part of um history and crime that i i find a little bit um repugnant as well because it's disgusting because it's disgusting and you know what happened to sharon tate and all those other people in that house was horrible and i just i, I just couldn't really uh, you can reconcile the... I couldn't reconcile with it. And I just thought maybe the revisionist history to sort of save those individuals in the house at the end, was just, it just sort of hit a little bit shallow to me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. yeah the, I can't, I have to say, I didn't, the end is probably the only bit I didn't really enjoy. It was like, um, I, it was more that all the in between parts. That, that sure. I, when they were like, making uh, movies and stuff, yeah. Yeah, where they're doing that and then also where he does go into the Manson family's, uh, what is it? like? Oh, the ranch. Set, the yeah, the ranch. ranch. That that tension there was just Oh, that was unreal. unreal. That, that was, was a very good scene. Yeah. So it was sort of like I, I liked it there. The sort of end part to me just seemed like a bit of a tack on bit and that's why I said it sort of made me start reflecting on it as this revisioning things and – I'd say Tarantino doesn't like what happened there and he couldn't really cope with it either. That's yeah. why he's done that. And it's um, it's a shame. It, it I think that's what devalues it in the end. And as I was yeah. saying, it, it's all that build-up that I really enjoyed. That's that's where I found it quite. Well, I think that's like I, I – I'm, I'm almost glad it wasn't like Tarantino's Charles Manson movie. Like I'm really, yeah, which is what it was certainly being touted as when it was first, mm. because you can't avoid the Manson in the room, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly um, enough, the um, the actor who played Manson in that film also played Manson in season two of Mindhunter. Um, what's his name? Damien. Aussie bloke. Um, Damien. Yeah, Damien Aussie bloke. Yeah. yeah. Damien <laughs> Aussie bloke. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually a really good actor. He's. Yes. Yeah. 
Hang on, I'll find out for you. Thank you. Damien Herriman. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's just such a small part of the film, but I'm kind of, yeah, I'm glad it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, that was a concern of mine going into that movie. Yeah, I remember, like, um, I don't know, Tarantino is this weird thing that, like, oddly I share with my mother. My wife hates Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But, like, like when Inglorious Bastards came out, I was, like, to my mom, I'm like, you've just got to watch it. Like, give it a go. And she was, like, loved it. Like, what, like, I've never, I've never known my mother, who is quite, like, a, a fairly, you know, conservative woman, to watch this movie and then immediately started again because she was just so, like... <laughs> So we saw them all, but she was like really put off by Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like really put off by the Manson stuff. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, loved it when they got their comeuppance, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that that's a revisioning. It, it, yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I I liked it, but I liked it for the wrong reason. I think I think it was just it it ultimately what made it not work in its entirety but i would back up uh dicaprio and pitt leading up to that their characters and <laughs> how they their relationship it's just such a oh, uh, really it good. seemed it seemed very authentic in some ways mm. uh, so it was good uh but yeah in terms of the ranking of films i guess we can go to that and dissect these a little more based yeah. on um, I, I, I'll just say the bottom one for me is still uh, Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, same. And, and I've probably explained I've, that. I've never had any desire to revisit it, no matter what. I'm like, I'm just not interested. Mm. But I, I, I'm happy for people to go, you're ignorant, you're naive, you yep. don't understand, and I'll go, yep. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am. Finger guns? I sure I've, I've actually tried it three... I've tried to watch it three times. Yeah. Oh, really? I, yeah. I watched it... I got through it once and I was like, I did not like that at all. Hmm. No, I just couldn't Couldn't keep going. I, I've not seen Jackie Brown, so I don't really have a yeah. horse in this race, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, my least favourite would have to be um, Death Proof. Um, but that might just be because I'm missing... That oh, it'd be my it'd be my close second. Yeah, that's Brown, that's definitely my second. Mm. Yeah. So in terms of top three, Scott, you want to start? my top three? Or you can start with one of them. I'll go hateful yeah. eight. Hateful eight was this like just delightful. Like it, it I've never been for, for it's it's his like um you know, you know, TV shows you get the episode in a bottle, like the the where you know you, every all characters are stuck in one place. This is the ultimate uh, bottle movie where you've got all these amazing larger than life characters trapped in a cabin, yeah. <laughs> and and someone killed somebody, and we've got to figure out who done it. And to one shoot the entire thing in like ultra Panamax with these amazing, like every shot is done in ultra wide angle, even the close ups. There's yep. something about it that is like, whoa, this is cool. <laughs> uh, to the like, to like the western in the snow, these kind of beautiful landscapes, and then to that um, absolutely phenomenal Ennio Morricone score is just wow. And Samuel L. Jackson just fucking smashes it in this movie. <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he, he's brilliant in it. 
it's definitely one of my top three, The Hateful Eight. I, I really did enjoy it. And, yeah, it, it, it has that more grander feel to it than the normal Tarantino film too in terms of the landscapes and um, it, it just you mix that and I guess that's that wide angle as you're saying even within this cabin it's yeah. like a, a wide landscape of stuff going on and <laughs> and it's um, always filled with some, yeah filled with all these things it's um, yeah I, I really did enjoy that one it's not my top one but it's certainly up there as one of them so there's yep one there's of my one, three both of us cool. Um, my number one is Kill Bill Volume One. Um, I just love everything about that movie. Um, it's a love letter kung to, to kung fu movies. Um, it's the ultimate story of revenge. The violence is funny, but also strangely beautiful, and the scenery is lush. And every performance is a good performance. Like Lucy Liu as Oren Ishii. Wow. <laughs> Just amazing. <laughs> they, yeah, they, like, they all walk the line between overacting and, but in that like perfect anime kind of way. Yeah, I find, I think the, the word that I would use to describe this movie is just charming. <laughs> I, I find it charming. Charming. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the words I use. <laughs> I know it's a weird one to pick, but there's just something about it. I whenever oh, I watch, not a I weird thought, film to pick, just a weird way to describe it. It is. I just whenever it comes on, I get this stupid smile on my face because I'm about to watch Vivica A. Fox and Uma Thurman throw down in a house as you know as because the opening scene because it's so good. <laughs> and this is the thing, right? Where people like like it's criticized for the violence and stuff. And there was an interview I remember watching with him, and they're like, "Oh, you know, it's it, why do you make movies this violent?" He's like, "Cause it's funny." And because it's just, funny, exactly. He he does have this way of making like this absurd amount of gore and violence, but he can make it funny. It's it's not gore for gore's sake. It's there to show you how absurd it is. That that that's that's how I view. It's not. Yeah, it's not a realistic. Depiction no. of what happens when someone gets their head cut off. Like, no, exactly. <laughs> when the bride cuts off um, so Sophie's arm in the bar and it's just yeah. like spraying around everywhere. No one would do that. She, you know, lose consciousness immediately. <laughs> you know, but, she's it's, but it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> And I think like like, like in um, Django, where it's like the the, the the beginning where he's like, oh, all right, and he sh shoots the guy. It's this massive like, <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, and I think yeah, Kill Bill is like I think the first time I remember watching a movie that that gory and just being like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's very comic style. Yeah. That's yeah. for sure. It's like, uh, and when I say comic, I don't mean comedy. I mean comic, as in comic, comic book. As in comic book, yeah. yeah. Mm. And um, quite literally as well, all of um, Oren's backstory is told through this anime sequence, which is very mm. beautiful and, you know, very effective, you know, and it sort of nicely breaks up the film a little bit for you. Yeah. Uh, good no, choice. It is. Mm. Not in my top three, but very good choice. That's it. It was close, but it's not there for me, yeah. Uh, Scott, back to you because um, on one of them. Django Unchained. Yeah, so this is one where it's not no? highly rated for me. No. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. 
it, it's the same awkward revisionist sort of stuff that just threw it for me watching it. it okay. Just, I yeah. yeah, I don't know. It just I find it so gripping in like it's it's one that I can watch from any point. I could just press play and happily watch the rest of the movie. You know what I mean? It just mm. um Jamie Foxx is fantastic. It's got that funny streak to it, the the sort of dark humor. Mm. Um Christoph Waltz is just uh, unbelievable. Mm. And then DiCaprio is a fine villain. And then Samuel Jackson's a really good villain at the end as well. I would say he's probably the villain. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if anything, yeah. Yeah, I oh, look, I, I still enjoy it. And it, it's just one of those bits that's, as I said, the revisionist stuff sort of, and same with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It mm. just it doesn't sit well with me seeing it because I just sort of go to take it outside the reality you lose that same grounding that everything else is so done well and authentically to put this little flight of fantasy in there just jars you, for me you definitely won't, won't like my number one then <laughs> also, it also might be a little bit of part of um that is a reality of history that tarantino is not directly tied to as well. a white man, yeah, yeah, yeah precisely right. Famously, on um, Spike Lee is very critical of this film, which yes. you know, which is a very fair criticism to make. And um, but I, I, I understand the the um, discomfort with some of the revisionism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah, it's really well done as usual, and yeah. the actors are great. It's just that little slight jarring bit for me personally. Mm. Uh, mine is Reservoir Dogs is the next one. Yeah, that's on. Only just because <laughs> very good choice. Yeah. It's it a really just, good movie. It, it, you can almost do it as a play, and I've, I think yeah. I have seen a, a play of it. So it's so solid in its characters and dialogue that it just stands without needing some massive cinematic vista or sequence to make it work. And um, the sort of use of Mr. Pink, and, you know, Mr. White, and all of these names that are, are pointless almost for namesake. They've definitely got character, and uh, all the actors in it just carry it so well. Yeah. Uh, that's a hell of a cast, though. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a really stacked cast, and it's, it's such a good film. For me, it's the ultimate heist gone wrong movie. Like, a lot <laughs> well, of people... Yeah, a heist film without a heist. It, it is, yeah. If you don't you don't need the heist. Like, a lot of people like... Um, a lot of people attribute, like, Heat as the best heist movie. I'm like, no, 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 Reservoir Dogs is the best <laughs> heist movie. Excuse you. <laughs> yeah, I find Heat a bit overrated myself, but Thanks. yes. Yeah. <laughs> heat. Yeah. But anyway, Reservoir Dogs, yes. Yes. Always yes. <laughs> <laughs> Monica, your next one. Um, my next one is the the classic one, uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I, that's my top one. I, I, lo I love Pulp Fiction. It's I've, I said before we um, started recording the episode that Samuel L. Jackson, um, I'm still a bit upset that he did not win an Oscar for his performance as Jules because he just crushes it in this movie and it's just such a singular performance. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so good. Amazing. Just... 
you he know, gets the he does get the best dialogue in it. Too, he, gets, he gets he gets to chew on it, you know, and yeah. you can see he's enjoying himself. This film also revived John Travolta's career. It's extremely quotable. It's been parodied a million times. There's um there's, the Simpsons have done it like. The Simpsons have done it. There's also Pulp Disney, which is just, you know, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck voices doing um, <laughs> the scene in the apartments asking what Marcellus Wallace looks like, and it's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, there's so much in this that makes it work. It These sort of mixed vignettes that uh, weave together at the end, each one of them's fl- flawless um yeah and I, I i don't i don't see i mean you can have issues with the violence and uh the <laughs> get the gimp. the gangster stuff because yeah. you know it's not nice <laughs> it's not nice at all but um it, it's just done so well and all the characters as you were mentioning earlier it was written it is like a pulp fiction novel if you want in yeah. terms of each story but then done in a cinematic way and weave together so well in these non-linear things to yeah. get it to work like this one does is a testament to his writing and his mm. ability to do that. And yeah, when you sort of see all these non-linear stories start to sort of like blend together and they're forming this beautiful bow, it's almost a twist, you know? Yep. Yeah, it, essentially. It, it completely pays off. And well, the throw, I mean, it totally throws on like you see John Travolta die and then he's yes. back, it's, but it all works perfectly. But then, yeah, there's all these great moments of just, I don't know, it's like understated stuff that they'll do, like, you know, when they're sitting in the cafe just before the the two uh, misguided (laughs) robbers decide to take them out, like, or try to, um, in their sort of, like, shorts and T-shirts and they're talking about... You know whether that's it they're going to get out and stuff yeah it's yeah and i love seeing the um from the beginning of the film we see jules using the path of the righteous man quote in a very different way that he uses it at the end of the film yeah, yeah, he, he learns his he he he, he uh, well he learns a lesson he learns a lesson <laughs> yeah and it's just you just get this um it, it completes the story in and it's quite emotional as well because you can sort of see on the character's face that he's just like and exhale <laughs> yeah <laughs> and again the music throughout it it's yeah. works so well in all of it yeah. um yeah, yeah no uh bruce willis I, I i think it revives so many careers it's amazing how many i mean it pretty much made samuel l jackson's career that's a career defining <laughs> character and, and uma thurman as well i think well, it certainly put her into that arena of not just the sort of uh, drama, comedy stuff that she'd done. A drama, previously. comedy, or pretty yeah. girlfriend. Yeah, yeah she yeah. she has a lot to chew on in this movie, and she's she she does it so effectively. Oh, her character's Mia Wallace is fantastic. <laughs> Mia's great. I love Mia. And <laughs> there's, then, there's very, know, even like down to like buddy Eric Stoltz, yeah. <laughs> drug dealers. <laughs> And his girlfriend, that's, um, yeah. what was, who was that? That's, um, suddenly forgotten her name. Yeah. Sister is, no, it's lost. But anyway, just where she goes, oh, you know, the response to the adrenaline being, yeah, that's it. I knew it was a sister to one of the. <laughs> yeah, it was an arquette. <laughs> yeah, it's an arquette. Um, yeah, just uh, her response to the adrenaline 
needle in that when Uma Thurman pops up. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's also the the dance scene. You know, if you look yeah. at how many iconic things have come from that, and that use of that, uh, I'd call it a family restaurant, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, with all of the Hollywood icons in there, to me, it, it this is Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Yeah. It's sort of like it, it, it's his uh, way of thinking in terms of uh, creating films and the world that he lives in and adores and mm. you're seeing it in these <laughs> amazing little vignettes within uh, Pulp Fiction without needing a big sprawling film to mm. make that point and uh, that's why I think it's still a top one for me. Yeah, and um, the, the last little cherry on the top in this film for me is um, the character of Winston Wolfe. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> just, just the fixer that comes in. So. <laughs> and, you know, talks to Quentin Tarantino's character about, you know, um, replacing bed sheets and, you know, talking about his lovely nurse wife who's coming back from the <laughs> shit. She's constantly worried about everything, but we got this as a wedding present. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Scott, what are you left with? Inglorious Bastards. Pretty good. I <laughs> love it. Oh, it's Inglorious Bastards has, I think, one of his greatest scenes at the beginning. The openings. That, yeah, yeah, that's just wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> the masterpiece of tension. Yeah, that that is so good. Um I have to just credit just that opening scene there. Uh, I think um, the um, scene when they're in the underground pub as well with Michael Fassbender oh, and yeah, Diane Kruger is also, that, that's, my, that's the standout scene for me in the film. It's mm. just so good because you know everyone's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Horribly. Horribly. Yeah. And you and then we go, but then we get through that, like, that, that love of cinema and cinema being the key to defeating the Nazis sort of thing. <laughs> With a nod to the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's just, it's, there's so much in it I love and I find it fun and quotable and it's got, he's, like action's good, even though a lot of it's the sort of like the conversational stuff that he does, there are still gunfights in it. And yeah, I just, and Brad Pitt as uh, Aldo Rain, just I friggin', <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think as well for some cinema goers, um, a few that I know were sort of, I mean, an Aaron might sing the film because it's also in multiple languages. And I was just like, no, go see it. It actually en enriches it a little bit because, you know, good dialogue isn't exclusive to English. Yeah. Uh, that, no, that's a good choice. I, I really, no, I don't have a problem with that one so much because it, because Nazis, it's not. Yeah, it's not. Well, no, it's not that. It's not really Nazis changing people. Yeah, it's true. But it's it's not making a a big leap of dismissing things. If you get what I mean, like yeah, the revisionist stuff that I was talking about before is mm. actually overturning or ignoring some really realities. important. Yeah, some important things. Whereas that one isn't. It's more a flight of fantasy. In that, yeah. um, once upon a time in Nazi occupied, yeah, Europe. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it not is, quite the yeah. same. And so, you know, there were also genuine attempts on Hitler's life and other members of the Nazi party as well. So, you could sort of see someone trying to create a harebrained scheme. Well, he's going to go to a cinema, that's a good opportunity, mm. you know. And it just sort of got that also self reflective art yes. house feel to it in parts of it. So, it's yeah. um, 
uh, I, yeah, that, that's a great film. I, I have no problem with that one. It's, um, it'd be close there. It just doesn't sit in my heart the same way yep. as the other ones that we've Fair mentioned. Fair enough. Mm. Yeah. Monica, do you have any more? Or are, we, are we done? Um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm all covered. I've, I've um, rushed about cool. what I want to gush about. <laughs> um, I'd probably one of the things you can look at is how he's written stuff that's made separately and uh, you've got Natural Born Killers and True, uh, True Romance. Romance. From uh, Buster like, Dawn. Yeah. The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock. <laughs> Uncredited. 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 I guess that's where he sort of started, isn't it? It's um, as a writer. Yeah. somewhere. Mm. And, he, and, and he's, it, just, he's just released his first novel, too, by the way. Oh, has he? Yeah, he has. Yes. He's also writing a book about film theory, which I'm actually quite interested to read. <laughs> yeah, so he's, his novel is a novelised adaptation of um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Don't know whether I'd read that one, though. No. I'm, cur I'm curious to know what he, his prose would be like. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good point. Like if he can, um, if he, if he, if he can you know, what like like dialogue is different when you read a book. Just as a query, like which one would you consider to be the most Tarantino adaptation of his writing? Like when you look at all those other films that have been created, which one sort of comes closest? I still think Natural Born Killers. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, yeah. I, I just. I it's mean, got the it, weird it, characters and kind of yeah. out there stuff. And, I mean, it's certainly got an element of Oliver Stone, but it doesn't feel like your typical Oliver Stone movie. Mm. No, well, it's not Oliver Stone's script. You can tell yeah. that, that's for sure. And, um, yeah, I, I, I ultimately don't think it stands up as a film as much as I probably thought when I first saw it. But it certainly does match it in terms of the music that you get in the soundtrack, if you think about yeah. it. The, the style choices the too. It. Yeah, the style. And then the uh, those great sort of twisted sitcom situations of remembering danger film and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it certainly is the closest out of all of them. I, I guess some people might say true romance is, but I just didn't. I just don't rate it. <laughs> no. Um, I don't think it quite gets the same level of uh self-reference in terms of film you know and mm. bringing in because pop uh sorry natural born killers actually references the media itself uh, well yeah it's a commentary on love i guess the, the yeah. way the media makes heroes out of horrible people yes. mm. so yeah just doesn't Shows that Robert Downey Jr. can't do an Australian accent. accent. Sure. <laughs> Tommy Thunder would beg to differ. Crikey. <laughs> well, he worked it out by then. He had to practice it a lot. Well, I, feel like they only did that in, I feel like they only did that in Tropic Thunder to make fun of his accent in that. Probably, yes. But hey, you know, even Meryl Streep struggles with it. So when they pull it off, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. well done. Mm. <laughs> um, well, but, uh, what about Australian accent in Django is pretty bad. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot no, about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Why? No, that's really woeful. And, you know, he should 
stick to directing and writing, not acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he works in bits, like, you know. I, I, think oh, I like his voiceover in Hateful uh, Eight. He narrates it. Yeah. He does, yeah. Oh, look, I don't mind him in Dust Till Dawn and um, and Pop Richie. Fiction. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, he just doesn't have those chops of actually becoming someone different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you know who you're looking at, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just interesting that there's these other films out there, which I'm wondering why he never made them himself in some respects. It's, could be money, maybe, could have written them on a... Yeah, or maybe they're the money the to budget or, the films. Yeah. yeah, Maybe there's some contractual thing as well. Mm. But, yeah. Writer, director. Absolutely. And one of, and iconic for a reason. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino. I hope you guys enjoy our first uh, look at a, a director and their work. There are plenty of other great directors I'm sure we will be considering to do another one of these later. And feel free to suggest yeah. one. Yeah, please send your recommendations. Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith. <laughs> subliminal, subliminal, subliminal. I just want to watch Jason suffer. <laughs> well, we can talk about clips too if you want. <laughs> Masterpiece. Oh. <laughs> uh, help, helped uh, that Tarantino was the first person to watch the first cut of Clerks 2. I believe that. Kevin Smith went to his house, first cut of it. Him and Robert Rodriguez together. I would love to see Tarantino's <laughs> reaction to the pillow pants scene. <laughs> probably thought it was amazing. You probably did. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Pop Culture. I've been Scott. I've been Jason. And I'm still Monica. <laughs>